and welcome to the 40 Drinks Podcast. I'm your host, Stephanie McLaughlin. You know, sometime in the years around our 40th birthday, many of us start to feel what I call the ick. Like some part of your life no longer fits and you don't know what to do about it. I know that was true for me, and I fought against it, which only made it a messier process. But having 40 drinks with 40 people over the course of a year helped me escape the influence of that ick. On this podcast, I welcome you to tap into my stories and experience, as well as those of my guests, to help you emerge from your own ick and maybe even avoid some of the mistakes we made along the way. My mission is to make it common cultural knowledge that there is a transition most of us face around age 40, and then showcase so many versions of that transition that every single person approaching or recently turned 40 with dread in their heart knows that they are not alone. Today, my guest is Stephanie Rose, whose 30s were a whirlwind of marriage and then buying a home and the birth of her two kids and the death of her mom. And then at age 39, she started her business and realized she didn't really have a frame of reference for who she was anymore. And she felt like she needed to get to know herself better. Hi, Stephanie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Stephanie. I'm delighted to be here. <laughs> you know, I love meeting somebody who shares my same name because we're not, you know, Anne's or Marie's or Kathy's, right? So it's a little bit more of a of a, a name you don't hear that often. And I always feel like when I meet a Stephanie that we're automatically best friends because we share the name. I don't run into many Stephanie. Right, me neither. I know it was a common name of an era, but I still don't run into them often. Right, right. There was a Stephanie in my kindergarten class, Stephanie Campisi. And um, and other than that, you know, I didn't meet many Stephanies along the way. So um, can I call you Steph? Yes. Okay. Excellent. Likewise. <laughs> I'm interested to jump into your story. So why don't we start by telling me the prologue. What gets us to the beginning of the story? What made you who you were when you got to your 30s? It's still a story that I'm like working on reshaping. Mm -hmm. And because as you pull on different threads of your story, it, re it creates a whole different picture. And yep. so I'm still in the midst of like rewriting it. I totally but, understand that. I'm doing a little bit of the same thing myself. So yeah, but, viewing things from a different point of view and uh, yeah, seeing like a different can, picture a whole other story depending on like what mm -hmm. comes forth but mm -hmm. the facts of it are like due to my dad's job we moved around a lot in mm -hmm. elementary school so I went to three different elementary schools and I feel like that as a very sensitive kid mm -hmm. and still as an adult I don't think I realized how hard that was mm -hmm. on me and play into that like good girl role and being tougher than maybe I'm designed to be. Mm -hmm. I didn't get to let all of that out, uh, but I never saw it as a negative. I always thought it was like kind of cool and was part of my journey. Like it, it, it was never something happening to me. Mm -hmm. It was always a for me thing, mm -hmm. but I don't think I've really reconciled like how much that affected me and just to like process it and to maybe sure. like let some of those things go. Mm -hmm. um, but then in fifth grade, we moved to Michigan where we are now. And I think I started to feel a bit more grounded. And I was always one of those kids that liked to play outside and have imagination. Like we had, we would like play in trees, mm -hmm. but they would like, they weren't tree houses, but in our minds, they were houses yeah. and like, uh, just very imaginative. So like, I've had this like inner world that I would always play in. And then, you know, like finding my footing with like finding some friends that, you know, really got me and I could feel like myself with mm -hmm. was really important. And like, I loved junior high and high school. Like I, I, that's where some of my best memories come from. I think that's where I really came into seeing who I really was a bit more. Aren't you fortunate? Um, I, I am. <laughs> like, so many people find that time so traumatic. <laughs> I mean, it's not that it wasn't hard and they right. didn't have some real growth moments in there that I, I keep circling back to and reflecting and being like, oh, like 
that's what was really going on. Or even if it wasn't with me, like that's what was going on with that person. So maybe mm -hmm. that's why they acted the way they did. And just again, like telling a different story. Mm -hmm. I was an orca dork, like I played violin. I was in theater. I was on journalism. I had a group of people that like I really felt got me and I was doing things that I kind of felt valued in while also learning what I was not strong at. Oh, I wanted to do like the sciences and be a genetic biologist because I wanted to like look into those deeper parts of ourselves and like get answers about ourselves. Mm -hmm. um, and then I took chemistry and biology <laughs> and was like, oh no, no, <laughs> no. no. Uh, let's pause there because that that is going to be such a theme through your life even though it's not going to be through organic chemistry. I love that that came up for you even that early. I did have that knowing. And mm -hmm. so what I did go into for college was um, interior design mm -hmm. and like putting spaces together. But what I really excelled at was more like programming part of it, the project management mm -hmm. of it. Like mm -hmm. I suck at picking colors. I <laughs> like my husband is way better at like, reorganizing our living room and picking out <laughs> furniture and stuff. And I'm like, I don't know, like, like I'm a certified designer. Like, <laughs> That's a riot. But, but I, again, I knew like that was not mm -hmm. me. I was not into that aesthetics. I was more about how it works. Yeah. And so that took me into my career. I was in facilities management and program management. And in some ways, like I really excelled with that because that is really based on relationships and figuring out the way through a problem and trying to make everyone pleased with the outcome. And there's like negotiations and mediations and like always improving, like process improvement. So mm -hmm. that was always like part of my story. And then, you know, that gets me into like 20s and 30s. Sure. And in that time when my mom, when I was in my late 20s, my mom got diagnosed with um, early onset Alzheimer's. Oh my goodness. How old was she? Around 50. Wow. Oh no, 56. Wow. And you were, you said in your late 20s. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's still a part of my story that I'm really unpacking. Yeah. Right. Because when you go through those things, my, my dad got sick. Um, I was 44. Uh, no. Yeah. 43, 44. My dad got sick. And when you go through it, you're just so focused on getting through it and doing the things and um, whether it's doing the things that need to be done or whether it's being mindful that this is a moment that you need to think about and and cherish right and so to your point all these years later you know you have an opportunity to go back and like you say unpack it and it looks like you're really feeling it these days right because you didn't you probably I, well if you're like me you really didn't have an opportunity to feel it much during because there was so much going on well and it's one of those illnesses that like come on in subtle ways mm -hmm. and so like we didn't we didn't know what we knew right like, and where it was gonna go mm -hmm. and so you know late 20s early 30s like you're really coming into like your own life and mm -hmm. like things are good and so like you're worried about your parents but also like they're still on the younger side like right this this isn't something to really worry about but um you know just in that time it became evident that you know, it was, was yeah. Yeah, it was a path. Yeah, it was a path we were on. Then um, I met my husband and that was just like that spark. Like I knew when I saw mm -hmm. him at, through mutual friends, like he walked into a party and I'm like, he is someone I meant to be with. I wasn't quite there. He was like my husband, but just like he, right, is, right. he is the next on this journey. Like, right. so I definitely had that knowing like, from the universe of like this, <laughs> you know, like you have like those moments. Yeah. Uh, so I've never had to question 
that about, yeah. about our relationship. Yeah, so we met at like 32. We were married at 34 and then had a first kid at 35. Wow. So like all like right yeah. in a row. Yeah. And then that next year, my mom passed away. Oh. So it was really hard to become a mom. Yeah. And to like lose her in that same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's both ends of the spectrum at the exact same time. That's That's got to be difficult, right? Because you want to be, you're so joyous and happy that you've had a baby and that you're so devastated that you're, I mean, that's just, those are two extremes to hold inside yeah. at the same time. Well, and like, you know, if you've ever done like those stress tests of like, you give yourself a point for if this, <laughs> this, or this happened, it's like, oh, okay, so in those few years, like I met my spouse, we got married, we had a kid, we bought a house, like we had to move, you know, not far, but just like yeah. all of these. And then, then I lost my mom, like all of these things. And then right after that, I had another kid. Oh my goodness. <laughs> so, like, you know, they're two years apart. So like, yeah, you checked off basically a major life event from like, 32 through like 36 every year. It was like, let's, you know, let's just, wow, check, check, check. Yeah, it's like, a lot. I, I felt it at the time, but also I didn't because that's the, there's that self-protection coming in of like not feeling. Right. So it wasn't numbing out to the point of like depression or anything, but like, when you have a kid and you're pregnant, you're like your hormones are all, all over the place anyway and then you have this sense of impending loss right and loss right it was a lot and then having so there's a lot of identity changes yeah. that are happening in there too and then really having to be the adult child to your parents mm -hmm. and wanting to do what's best and you have your opinions from your perspective and them maybe not always being heard or received in the way that made you feel heard. <laughs> yep. As they're going, everyone else is going through their thing. So, I mean, it was really a challenging time, but like, I didn't, I don't think I really appreciated how much it was <laughs> at mm -hmm. the time. And so now I, I feel like that all fueled. Yeah. That like the next step of what I had to do in life and like really figure myself out again, because all of these identities had shifted mm -hmm. and I didn't know who I was. Those stories I had told myself and built myself up with were a bit rocked. Like they, do were, you remember? they were gone, but they were just like, yeah. Do you remember any of those stories that, that you felt like were rocky or, or it was kind of like I'd come to the, the end of the things like I've had all these major events. These are the events that people like planned for and like, right. these are the milestones in your life. I've had so many of them all pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. Well then like now what? Like most people, like they might have a gap between like having the kids and then like another like right. identity shifting thing. So I went through all of these and I was really just like, like who, who am I? Like what, what in myself can I count on? Ooh. what what do I really like what what makes me feel most like me and for the people in my life how do I want them to see me like am I showing up in ways that I that I'm really happy like I have that satisfaction that they know me and I don't think I was ever truly like hiding who I was but I don't think I was living it so boldly mm. like glimpses definitely got out because mm. um I always like own my sense of weird, <laughs> but I don't think I like was like celebrating it as much or making as much space for it. Okay. And so it became like this intentional look at like, who am I? What do I want? Where, what do I want more or less of? Like what, how do I want to shape this story going forward? Do you remember what it was that got you thinking that way? I mean, that's a really profound way to think. And I'm not sure I have ever 
come upon myself to say, not necessarily what I want next. Cause I've, you know, I've certainly not in a global level, but, but even like, how do I want people to see me or, or what do I want to portray in the world? What was it that inspired those thoughts? Where, where did they come from? How did you get to them? <laughs> I have a little bit more understanding now mm -hmm. what brought them on then. Uh, Great. Because as part of my journey is I, I got into human design, which is mm -hmm. an astrology based type map of yourself. It like in that my identity center is open, meaning it's very like the energy is like are always flowing with it. And I feel those really deeply. So like I have that deep questioning of identity and self where other people that have these elements defined for them, they feel it more consistently. So they don't question it. And so okay. I think I've always had this like wondering <laughs> of stuff and I didn't realize other people didn't feel this way. Right. Or feel it so deeply. Like it is, part of my why like it it is a life force for me mm -hmm. um so i know that that's part of it like it's just who i'm designed to be but i think for someone else it could still just be taking that moment to pause like it really became clear when my youngest was about a year or so and you know finally getting more sleep mm -hmm. <laughs> and like finally getting to that point of like okay like it's been a rocky, what, five years? I think the boat has settled okay. in my life type thing. I was mm -hmm. getting more sleep. So once you, you know, like when your sleep is so important, it's like once you actually get sleep, oh, you feel like a whole new person. Right. Um, and I, I think that was like the Kickstarter of like, okay, like things are slowing down. I finally have a bit more capacity okay. to to explore this now and that existential like well what next yeah was creeping in because because i have two sisters there's part of me that's always thought i wanted to have three kids mm -hmm. but then kind of feeling like i i think we're done mm -hmm. but maybe you know like mm -hmm. just trying to decide like and getting closer to 40 and like all these things like that clock was like ticking so i think it was just that all those coming together of like, okay, well, what is next? I kind of need to decide a little bit here too, if, if that's yeah. on the plate. So I love, love, love that word you just used. You used the word capacity. And I think that there are a lot of times in our lives where maybe we think we want to do something. I, I can use an example right here from my own life in it's, it's different, but um, I've said before, people who've been listening for a while know that I manage a couple of chronic illnesses. And so I am limited in what I can do every day. You know, how many, um, those of us in the chronic illness world know about spoons and spoon theory, right? How many spoons I have to spend on a day. Um, and there are no rollover spoons. So if you didn't spend them all yesterday, it's not like you get extra spoons today. So, um, yeah, things like, you know, for a while, a couple of years ago, I was doing stained glass and I, I loved it. I loved it. And I so want to go back, but I just don't have the capacity right now. I don't have the space in my energetic world to add that. And so for you to really understand that you had the capacity to think about something beyond just survival beyond making sure your kids, you know, stayed upright and forward moving and, um, you know, you and your husband stayed, you know, healthy and employed and things like that, right? It, it, for so many people, all whether we have kids or not, you know, life is pretty all-encompassing. And there are definitely phases where we don't have the capacity to do more, to do you know, some of this soul searching or, or, you know, thinking or, or even hobbies to my point. And so I love that you were conscious of, okay, now I'm sleeping. I'm feeling a little bit better. I feel a little bit more stable. The boat's kind of settled. Now I have the opportunity to pick my head up and kind of look around and see where the world is settled now that the storm has passed. I yeah, love like, that. Just 
because like I was still navigating a career and mm -hmm. that required travel. My husband travels like we were still having like the day to day headaches of childcare and travel mm -hmm. and work and stress and like you yep. all the things. Yeah. But I had a little bit more <laughs> that yeah. I could put into and it became important to me. Like mm -hmm. that became my focus. Like I had to figure that out or at least a little bit more for myself. Mm -hmm. And and that's actually where the artist's way came in. And that is the book by Julia Cameron. It's uh, a creative journey that mm -hmm. it's best done with like an accountability group just to be in a community with them. But mm -hmm. it was something that had been on my radar, like a friend had done it. I had heard it like sounds cool. I am creative. I'm not an artist. Right. Type thing. So but an opportunity came up because I had been doing a few little things and that was like the next turning point because the foundation activity of the artist's way is the morning pages mm -hmm. and it's three pages of stream of consciousness writing every day. And I admit I didn't hit every day because mm -hmm. life. Right. But I had never journaled in that way before. It was always like a diary entry of like the minute details and facts of the day. Right. Never, this is what like, happened. Yes. But never feelings based. Mm -hmm. And in the artist's way, it's, it's like word vomit. It is just whatever needs to come out. And it's not even the, the power of what's on the page. It's that you've made space in your mind mm -hmm. so that then like your mind can breathe as well. And then those like connective thoughts can start to come together because there's some space mm -hmm. and like just the act of putting it on the page, like it empties your mind. But also like there's that like mind to body connection that you're like, you're writing it out. And like somehow that like energetic, those feelings are like coming out too. Yeah. They've uh, got movement. Yes. Like mm -hmm. it gives you some space for yep. those feelings to start working their way out. Um, and I remember that first day that I wrote, like, I still remember, I was like, I picked my head up after that. I was like, what just happened? Like, <laughs> it, it was not that I wrote anything profound. It was a lot of like, well, I'm starting this journey today. I'm supposed to be writing for three pages. And here I go. Like, it was like, right. But I hadn't had that much space to like, let things out and to really have it feel held by paper. I came to learn like sometimes only paper will listen to you because like you can like get it out and it holds it and it doesn't like say, Oh, I only have a minute or, Oh, my phone just rang. Like it's there for you. Wow. I'm curious from a practical standpoint as the mom of a one and a three year old, where are you, how are you finding the time to do morning pages? They were often evening pages. Okay. All right. Fair enough. I'm so much more of a night owl. Um, mm. And that is me too. That's a trait I've always had. Mm -hmm. But as I understand more about myself and understanding it's my highly sensitive nature, my empathetic nature, I'm an Enneagram nine, like all of that means like at the end of the day, I kind of need to like shed everyone else's stuff. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I like protect that nighttime for myself. But I also know it would be better if I gave myself that in the morning mm. so that I could like build myself up, like give myself more spoons type thing Yep. to start the day. So I have it at the end and not get to the point where I'm like so depleted that I do like sleep sabotage because I'm so like thirsty for my own time, my own like just quiet solitude time that yeah. I stay up far too late and kick the next day off poorly. Yep. So I'm aware of this, that they, right. <laughs> they loop together, um, but they weren't sometimes night pages. And like when the kids are that young, they do go to bed earlier. So sure, sure. Yeah. I, I had chunks of time and it wasn't always three pages, but just mm -hmm. knowing it was there. And then like, once you do it and you start to realize like 
how good you feel like after. And then I'd started to get like ideas of like, oh, like, well, if I did this or I'd like to do this next or like, it just opened up more rabbit holes for mm -hmm. my mind to explore, which my mind loves a good rabbit hole. <laughs> like, I, I think that's what could be like my whole life described, like it's a rabbit hole. Like I, <laughs> I follow it interests me and then I'm in yeah. until yeah. it's done. <laughs> so I think that was like the big turning point of like, it gave me a way to channel all that introspective energy. Yeah. Wow. So where did that lead you? Uh, that was in like 2018 timeframe. And then through that, like, and coming, like feeling more grounded in myself and just feeling like, like more like home to myself. I was like, I think other people need this. <laughs> like, like the, this is not a unique experience to me. And I, mm -hmm. I've really done the work. I feel like I could share this with people. Yeah. I'd been reading like personal growth books. And then there was a lot of like, entrepreneurial spirit in the air, I think too. Mm -hmm. uh, that's like, well, what if I started a business? Like, I, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> like, but it was, it was an idea that came into it and I, I couldn't let it go. So that's when I really started documenting like, well, what, what did I do? Yeah. And then I started doing some of it more with intention too, to say like, okay, well, I think this works. Let me like, do it so I can document that I did it. So and what kinds all, of things were you doing? I mean, beyond the, the, the pages, right? Yeah, I was doing the journaling, but then also um, I was making a lot of lists of like, if I want to define my life, if I want things or I don't want things, what are those things? Like, mm -hmm. like the phrase, name it to tame it. Like if you can't give it a name, then you, you don't know what you're solving for. Right. And so there are also some, some stresses coming up with my career job too. The like, I'm a mom with two kids. Mm -hmm. This is not quite working for me as easily. <laughs> mm -hmm. Hi, we'll get back to the conversation in just a minute. You know, if you're in the midst of your midlife transition, I want you to know that my whole reason for doing this podcast is to make sure you know you're not alone. Stephanie's story contains a lot of common elements, but everybody's story is unique to themselves. However, after publishing 80-something episodes, I've seen a lot of flavors of midlife transition, which got me thinking, if you've got an issue you're facing or something you're working your way through, I can probably recommend an episode or two that might be relevant for what you're experiencing. And hearing how someone else faced something like what you're going through might help you see paths you hadn't noticed or give you ideas on how to make your way through this transformation. Think of it as a personal podcast prescription I'd love to make one for you. And trust me, I've heard a whole lot so far with 80-something guests, so go ahead and try and stump me. <laughs> DM me on social or email me at stephanie at 40drinks.com and don't forget to spell out the word 40. All right, back to the show. And, you know, working for a large international company, it's like, I mean, I loved what I did, but I had to kind of make it work for me more. Mm -hmm. So with that focus, I was, I started making lists of like, well, what do I want more and less of in my life? Like, what do I like and not like? Mm -hmm. So once I could kind of name it and see it on paper, then I could like see some connections, understand like, and I made a list of like all of my values and noticing like how that shows up in life. Mm. Cause like, especially too, as you have kids, like, you want to teach them well. You want them to grow up to be amazing human beings. So like mm -hmm. also like shows you more about yourself than any other life experience I thought think did. So it was like that confluence of things that's like, I just really need to name all of that. Mm. And so then having that list gave me like guideposts of like how to make decisions from it. Like, is this making me feel like I'm living in integrity with what I actually value? what do I need to shift are the places I feel friction in my life because it's not aligned with my values, like, you know, people or activities or just like anything. Mm -hmm. um, and am I like, am I having enough fun? Am I doing enough things I'd like to do yeah. in a day? And I came to see it. It didn't mean like 
oh, I have to block out all this time to do fun things. Yeah. But just knowing like, these are the things I really like. These are the things that just like add a little sparkle yeah. to my soul. And I can do them on top of what I already do. Right. So if it's like making sure you listen to like some of your favorite music mm-hmm. or like I'm a tea drinker, like really enjoy at least a sip of your tea. Like, <sighs> or like when you crawl into bed, like really like love it, like love your bed or like yeah. wh- whatever you're doing, just like those sheets. <laughs> yeah. Like just be a little bit, have more presence, mm. not just mentally, but like physically and spiritually, like yeah. your whole being is enjoying those moments. Yeah. And so like everyone says that they don't have enough time, like, well, you're already doing things. It's just doing them with a little bit more meaning, a little bit more attention, attention. Yeah. 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 I'm reminded of the conversation I had, uh, with Teresa Thomas several episodes ago and she, when she turned 50 did this thing that was very much like my 40 drinks project where she did 50 fun things And she made a list of 50 fun things she wanted to do that year. And I think she was feeling a lot of the same thing that you were feeling. There just wasn't enough fun in her life. And I I know I feel that in my life. As a matter of fact, around my birthday this year or this past year, I, um, I made a list of 52 fun things that I wanted to try to do through this year because there, there really isn't enough fun in our adult lives. And fun is something that changes our energy. It, it changes our, our, our heart and, and how we feel about the world around us. And, and frankly, we just don't do enough of it. Um, and so some of the things that I put on my list, and again, dealing with the, with all the things that I deal with in my daily life and running a business and having a house and keeping that running and all the things. Um, I just wanted to, and some of them are outlandish and some of them are achievable. And so as a matter of fact, I'm doing one tonight. I'm very excited. I'm going to the ballet with my best friend, you know, going out to dinner in Boston was one and going to the ballet was another. And I'm going to, I'm going to check off two of those tonight with my, with my best friend. I've also created a, um, a folder in my photos app so that when I'm doing these fun things, I take pictures and then I make sure to save them in that folder because it's great to remind yourself because I I know myself, I get like, Oh God, I never do anything fun. There's never anything fun ever. I feel like I've never had fun before in my life sometimes. Right. Which obviously means I need to do more, which is why I picked Teresa's idea up and did it for myself. But you know, then you can go back to that folder and be like, Oh no, these were actual fun things that we did or that I did or was involved in. So I love that awareness, awareness for the big things, like the fun things, and then also awareness of the everyday things, the mundane things. The I, I agree with you with the getting into bed. I mean, I, you know, my husband and I do that every night and we don't necessarily get into bed at the same time. I usually go up about an hour early and read. And um, but yeah, getting into bed is like, oh, God, these sheets. Oh, it feels so good. And usually I have a cat on my feet. And then he'll come in, you know, later and, and do the exact same thing. So I, uh, yeah, I understand what you're saying about that consciousness of good things in, in your life. Yeah. Like, like you're doing it, but how can you just like notice, like, so like when you put on like perfume or your lipstick or like anything, just like how's that smell make you feel? Do you really yeah. like look in the mirror and be like, yes, like that mm-hmm. gives me some attitude today. Or like, <laughs> how, how are you like noticing how what you do affects all three aspects of you, your mind, body, and spirit. And it's the story you tell yourself about them too. Mm-hmm. Cause if you crawl into bed and be like, Oh, like, this is lumpy. <laughs> like, right. Like, well, are you going to do anything about it? Or are you just going to keep complaining that you have a really lumpy bed or right. whatever? Like using that to kind of guide your actions by like what dots get illuminated for you. Mm-hmm. Like 
that's how the constellations came to be. They're just stars in the sky, but we make stories and myths around them based on the connections that we make that are mm -hmm. actually invisible, but we've inferred whole right. stories. Right. And we make up the pictures based on the points. Yeah. And so everybody's picture is going to be a little bit different, but you can be aware and conscious of those points and try to string them together into something that's meaningful to you. Yeah. And that you could rewrite those points mm -hmm. in a different way and get mm -hmm. a whole other picture. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like that's some of what you're doing now. You were talking when we first started about re looking at some of your younger years and trying to have a different perspective on them or a different, a different take on them or, or pull a different picture from them. Right. Yeah. Like that. And like, just tell a more powerful story. Mm. Like it happened. And even if it's a pleasant story, like how can I really like weave that together to like have even more evidence of what I'm trying to do now? Mm. How has that been a through line all the way to back then? How can I see things in a different way to tell a different story? Do you have an example of that, of something that you're reframing or repicturing? Uh, like there's some like harder moments of life mm -hmm. that like realizing that I did the best I could with what I had. Mm -hmm. And it was at the capacity that I had. It's the, the tools that I had at mm -hmm. that time to, to like release shame that I didn't even know I really had about it. But then just like reframing that and like pouring like love into that and just saying like you did the best you could mm -hmm. and then making it like just a beautiful tapestry of things like even if you have like one of those like woven blankets like it's the slubbing ones that are really like the imperfect mm -hmm. ones that are like the coziest mm -hmm. and really like feel like homemade and like more powerful to you than like the very well refined, right. you know, perfectly machined type ones. Mm -hmm. So like just envisioning it like that, like the more that that slubbiness can be rewoven, like that's actually like going to be the most powerful, the warmest type hug. And like the more we can accept ourselves and our stories, the, the more powerful our lives can be because we own that. Mm -hmm. And when you own it, that's power that you can use in a positive way. Yeah. Wow. That was so good that the idea that I had in my head just fluttered right out. So, <laughs> um, oh, I know what I was going to say. Giving ourselves grace or, or cutting ourselves a break for things that we did when we were younger and, and coming to the realization that we did the best we could with what we had at the time. I think we should all do that for everything we've done under age 25. <laughs> <laughs> I think that should be like standard operating practice. You hit 30 and then you go, okay, listen, everything before I was 25, I had done the best I could with what I had <laughs> because there's so many of these formative experiences that, that get stuck in us. And that I, I feel like they're like pebbles in our shoes and like, you know, we're walking down the, our path and like, you've got these pebbles in your shoes and they make your, they make your gait strange. And then, you know, all of a sudden your lower back hurts or your neck hurts, or you're getting headaches because you're walking weird. You know, this is obviously all metaphorical, but it's like, if we can take some of those pebbles out of our shoes and, forgive ourselves and, and, and acknowledge that we did the best we could with what we had. Um, that's, you know, that would go a long way to, uh, lightening up and loosening up. I think a lot of us. Yeah, like it would it really like, those are growth experiences. We're, we're meant to have all those. We are meant to grow right from them but when we let them be like those hard pebbles like you said that are stuck in your shoe then then you're contorting to like that old version of yourself that was that was never supposed to stay like that you were you were meant to grow and like really shine like yeah like grow your 
glow of like who you really are through those experiences. Yeah. Yeah. It's the truth. So let's go back to, you have a couple of little kids. You start to find the capacity to explore a little bit more. And I think one of the things you said earlier was that you hadn't really checked in with yourself in a while through those, those, those hectic years. And you, I think you also told me that you needed to get to know yourself a little bit better. So once you started exploring this avenue, what did you learn about yourself? Well, the list keeps growing. Yeah. <laughs> and like, like there was like layers. So like my latest ahas that enhance what I learned back then is that like, I'm incredibly optimistic. I have always had that spirit about me. And now I know even more why mm -hmm. I am. And I'm owning that even more. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty positive person, but now I'm seeing that I'm like so designed to be that optimistic. I'm so designed to like help people have that hope in their lives and to like rewrite their stories. And so if you're not optimistic, you can't rewrite your stories in a way that will serve you better. So um, yeah, some of the other discoveries are just like, I'm weird. Like I have quirks and like we all do, but I feel like mine are special. <laughs> <laughs> like what? Oh, just like the funny things that like crack me up or just get my attention. And uh, like it came in those lists of like the things I love. Like I love like good quality paper, mm -hmm. like just like having like touch like notebooks and like yeah. a good pen or. Um, do you buy notebooks and then and then refuse to ever write in them because they're too good? I do have some. Oh, but part of it is I also know it works for me now. Yeah. And so it's not that I'm like, I can't write in them cause I would ruin it, but it just, it's actually not the tool that works best for me. Yeah. And so, yes, I still have some pretty notebooks. Yeah. <laughs> but I've, I've stacks of them. I have yeah. stacks of them. I love notebooks. I love paper. And, um, but I, for some reason don't like writing on it on the pretty notebooks. I mean, I write on paper, but, you know, the, the pretty ones. It's like, those are, those are too, I don't know. They're too special. They're too pristine. They're too, um, unblemished, I think. Yeah. Well, that's why with the artist's way, I started out writing on legal pads. Yep. Like it was a hotel pen and a legal pad yep. and just so much came out. Like mm. it, it didn't matter. I wasn't trying to tell myself the story that it wasn't worthy of like the pretty notebook, but it just didn't feel like the space. Yep. Like there things have energetics, I feel. So like mm -hmm. there's some notebooks like I know what will go in there. I'm just not there yet yeah. to do it. And now my journal is like a, a, a soft cover moleskin journal because mm -hmm. I like that it's in one spot, mm -hmm. but it's not too precious. Like it's elevated because it's nice. Right. But it's also not like it, it's not too pretty. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So journaling ended up being a really good exercise for you to explore this whole side of you. Is that something that's been consistent? I have gotten away from it a bit lately mm -hmm. and I'm starting to notice like oh because I did the artist way two times mm -hmm. and both times were like a good cycle of aha moments so it's like mm -hmm. okay I think I think we're getting time like I need to do it again um, but what has somewhat taken its place is four years ago I started doing a daily walk and it was a way to finish the decade strong like I was feeling that need to like like kind of prove something, have evidence of I've been showing up. Like this is a culmination of things. I want to like finish this decade strong. And it had been like a 90 day challenge and I like was kind of doing, but I'm like, okay, no, I'm going to really show up for these last 30 days. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I was much more effort based to like okay. show up. I'm going to like make it more like a workout. Mm -hmm. And then it went to like, the next night, 30 days. And it's like, well, I may as well go for 90. Like that was the original challenge. Like that's 
let's really have that strong foundation into 2020. Mm -hmm. And then we know what happened. <laughs> Did you turn 40 in 2020? No, it was 2019. 2019. Oh, okay. All right. So yeah, like all that's in there too, like that fortyness, yeah. and um, I think that was it too. Like wanting to like start something that I did something big in yeah. 40. Yeah. And starting that, and then so when COVID hit, and I had this three month walk streak going, it didn't feel like the time to let that go. <laughs> Sure. <laughs> to, like it was a, a habit that was serving me. And so it evolved from something where it was really like an effort, like more masculine energy of like mm -hmm. I'm showing up and, you know, I'm getting a sweat, I'm working out to like, this is my space to step away mm. from things mm -hmm. and get a little bit more of the solitude and places for my thoughts and what I had learned through that is like when you're moving your body physically, you're moving your mind. Like those thoughts are also moving around and it's like, it's meditative in a way. So while I haven't been writing it out as much, I have space every day for myself. And I, I call it keeping a promise to myself mm -hmm. of it. It's for me to use it how I need to that day. Yep. And some days it's, literally like I showed up. I am here. I am walking. I am moving my feet. It's like the, the morning pages of like, I am sitting here. I am writing. I am. <laughs> yep. um, and other days, like I'm listening to podcasts and it's like giving me, like giving my mind so many like rabbit holes and aha moments like mm -hmm. that, that just like refuels my spirit. Mm. And there are other days I have things I need to work out and I'll use the time to walk and like literally talk to myself oh. and like pose a question to myself and I'll do it with intention of like, especially when I feel stuck, I'll say like, my go-to is like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I know that I know, I know that there's more to it, but I am protecting myself and protecting my safety and protecting like that core part of me that's afraid. Right. Cause I know that if I figure this out and it inspires action and I take it, what will people think of me? Who am I to do this? Yeah. What, it's scary. Like, well, how will that change my life? Mm -hmm. And even though it can be for the most positive of reasons, those core fears still come in. So like I have found that when I'm contemplating things and I'm moving, like either running or walking or, even in the shower, like just breathing and like giving yourself space to like feel it, then you can move past those spheres. You can like bring them with you because they don't just go away, mm. but it's like, you can like kind of hold its hand. It's mm. like, look at this. Like, I see that you're afraid, but what, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> and then like, it's like, these are all like conversations that sometimes I don't even consciously have, but sure. I'm aware that that's like a checklist to kind of go through in my head. And then that's what lets you take the inspired action. That's what lets you like move forward with those feelings because they don't go away, but you've maybe changed the frequency, the vibration mm -hmm. of them. So you did all this work, introspection and, and journaling and movement. And what did 40 feel like amidst all of that? Did 40 have any special meaning or special weight or fear or anything to come with it? Cause you were, you were so deep in all this work and really thoughtful about it. I'm just curious if then the number 40 had any additional impact. I guess and no, I think it's works like we expect something big right. <laughs> to happen. So like maybe part of me was a little nervous for the other shoe to drop on something because mm -hmm. I'd already had so many things yep. happen, like maybe being a little bit nervous on that. Mm -hmm. But I was also already like down this path of like excitement of like uncovering like that next thing. I'd already mm -hmm. like done some of that work. So I was actually kind of excited as well. So it was kind of like an anticlimactic, yep. but exciting path. <laughs> right. You know? Right. By the time you got there, 
it wasn't as big a deal as it might have looked from further away. Yeah, it was more like I could maybe start remembering how old I was again. Because <laughs> it was like 40, okay, 40. Like even now, like I, I don't remember how yeah. I, I always have to double check the math of how old I am. Because I don't, it's how old you feel. Like I, yeah. and time is so fluid and weird feeling like, I don't know how old I am. Yeah, I have <laughs> so, the same thing. I, I can never remember how old I am. As a matter of fact, I remember one time, I, I don't even know where I was, but my cousin was with me and I said something like, you know, oh yeah, I'm 45. And she was, no, you're not. You're 44. I was like, what? <laughs> how old am I? And why did I go older? <laughs> it was sort of a bizarre, uh, but yeah, I have to do the math. And it's, and I'm not good at math and I was born in a one year. So, you know, it's not like an easy math to do. <laughs> when being in a nine year, I'm like, wait. Right, oh, exactly. Wait. <laughs> so I think the 40 was helpful because it was like, I'm 40. Like, right. It, it created a boundary, but it wasn't like a limitation. It was, yeah. It was like a, a permeable membrane. Oh, mm, I like that. Kind of helped like root in, like, okay, you're like 40 now. Yeah. And so now you're in your, well, if we're parsing them very closely, early mid forties. <laughs> <laughs> um, and where are you now? The, the, that, that mid thirties was such a huge period of transition for you. Is it more of a stable place now? It is. It's much more stable. Um, it, it's like loaded with potential mm. because uh, a year and a half ago, I left my corporate career because I couldn't not have enough capacity to do what I really want to do in life. I'm still scared by it, but I'm coming to terms in the power of it. It was more mm -hmm. intimidating by like, that that's the mission I have like <laughs> um and also I I think there was like some burnout and just like mm -hmm. this is a lot to keep chuckling yes and it just I still loved what I did to a degree like I like the people I work with it was a great company it very aligned with my values like all those moments of like why would you leave this mm. like everything's so good like yeah but I, I i couldn't stay yeah like it was soul sucking in a way too that it's it's really hard to articulate and there are times i still like i'll look back and be like well, was that the right choice like should i have stayed and then I, like then i really think back i'm like no like i was not happy in the deepest of ways and being that like such a good girl and rule mm -hmm. follower, like it was really hard for me to have these like two these this added identity of like I want to get my business going. I really want to impact people in this way, mm -hmm. and feeling like I would like get in trouble. Yeah, like it would rock the boat too much on the good thing I had with my corporate job. Like, and it probably would have like like no corporate job wants to know that their employee also is doing these other things. Right. Even though they want to be supportive. Um, right. I love though that you said that the job checked so many boxes. It was a good fit and you liked the people and it was aligned with your values and you liked your work. And still, yeah, it was soul sucking because you knew it wasn't the right place for you. You knew it wasn't the right fit. And I love that because it's true. There can be things that can be close, but there's still no cigar. Right. Yeah, and like, so that that's a place of true courage to realize this is okay, but it's not great. It's fine. It's, it's seven. fine. Right. Right. And for a lot of people, seven is either adequate or great or, or the best you know, they could hope for. Like, right. Right. <laughs> But to have something that's so fine and still decide that it's not good enough, that's a place of true courage, I think. Yeah, it was something that kind of came up slowly and then all at once. 
Mm-hmm. I'm like, like, well, what if I left? Mm-hmm. What, what, what would happen? Because mm-hmm. uh, we hybrid homeschool our boys, so mm-hmm. like, there's that too, like that pull, like, to want to be there for them, like the obligation to to teach them, right? And just not wanting to settle for fine. Yep. That like. I know that there's something so big and so wonderful and that we all have that. We all have that like amazing thing for us, Mm -hmm. but in what ways do we settle for okay and tell ourselves that's enough? Right. Right. You said a couple of minutes ago that you realized what your mission was. What is it? It's to help people know themselves better and to own that, to believe in themselves, and to take aligned action toward it so that they can truly live a life that lights them up. Mm, that's fabulous. That's, that's good stuff. One of the things that I really like about your story is that it's, mm, let me see if I can find the right word. It's normal. There's no major extreme tragedies I understand you lost your mom and that is a, a tragedy, but I mean, no major, like you, you didn't have to burn your life down to right. come to these conclusions and come to these places of, of wondering and following the wondering, um, to come to this place of awareness and, and, and following that through. And, and so I, I love that about your story that it, it's, it can also be, I did all these wonderful things year after year, I, you know, I met my husband, we got married, we had a kid, we bought a house, we had another kid, right? And it's like, oh, those are all the adult things that people do. And you could still decide you want more. I love that about your story. And that's been like some reframing I've had to do too, that like, they did this big thing. Oh, they like, who am I? Like, no, like, my purpose is to show you like, don't settle for fine. Mm-hmm. Like, there is more and, and not in that like selfish, greedy type energy, but no, like that fulfilling, like, I want you to live your best life. Mm-hmm. Like your soul came here for like this full life experience and those things that were hard for us, like that's part of it too, but it's more like life is meant to be enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And it's really more about the everyday than the the huge milestones. And the milestones are really helpful to like put some like grounding markers in time because time gets really fluid. Right. To really like live a life that just fills you up so much. Mm-hmm. Because if you're living from that energy, that is going to ripple effect out to your family, to your neighbors, your friends, the whole world. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of vibe I want us to live for. Like, that's the unique signature of humans, I feel. Like, we get to experience these kinds of lives. So, to like, to dare to do it. Mm, I love that. Dare to do it. I think that's a great place for us to stop. I just want to thank you for joining me today, for sharing your story for sharing your mission and your wisdom and your highs and your lows. It's, it's been really wonderful getting to know you. It's been wonderful talking with you. And I really appreciate the opportunity to like, to force me <laughs> to like be here with you to like really talk it out. Cause that that's another just part of my journey that I really appreciate. Thanks so much for listening today. My goodness, did I enjoy talking to Stephanie. (laughs) So much so that we uh, kept talking after we stopped our recording. And um, there was more good stuff that came out of our conversation then. When we... uh, when we kept going, I, I don't know where the conversation went, but I, I said that I didn't have enough fun in my life, which, um, was part of the reason that led me to do, uh, the 52 fun things project, which I took from, uh, Teresa Thomas, one of my previous guests who developed the 50 fun things framework. I told Stephanie that I was feeling a lack of joy in my life and that by outlining 
52-ish fun things to do in the course of the next year, maybe that would help me try to bring a little bit more joy into my life. And I even remembered that there's there's this thing that I sometimes spontaneously do, and really my husband is probably the only person who's ever seen it, but I call it the joy wiggle. And it's just something I do when things are going well and I'm feeling good. And I just, there's a, there's a very particular wiggle that I do. And, um, I was telling Stephanie, I, I can't remember doing that in a very long time because there's just so much to do. And it's, it's just hard to fit it all in with my limited capacity. <clears throat> and that, and this is where she said, Maybe think of my spoons, right? Uh, in the chronic illness world, we have this thing called spoons, the spoon theory that you can very easily look up. And it's the idea that you have a certain number of spoons each day and that different activities or things cost a certain number of spoons. And that if you go over the number of spoons you have for the day, then you know, you're just going to basically like, you know, wreck yourself and have to recover after that. So my life has been in the last number of years, a balance of spoons and with running a business and, you know, having some semblance of a personal life and, um, you know, a home to run and, and also starting this podcast too. There's just, there's just so much to do. And, and she gave me this really interesting idea. She said, maybe think of my spoons as different colors and allocate the different colors to different things. So maybe I didn't have to spend all my spoons on obligations and maybe save a couple for things that light me up. Um, she reminded me of that movie called About a Boy. Uh, it stars Hugh Grant. I can't remember when it came out but I'm actually going to have to go back and rewatch it because the main character in that movie, she said, talks about breaking up the day into units and then giving some thought to how you allocate or how you spend those units. So that was kind of a world tilting idea for me that I'm going to have to uh, really sort of marinate on and see how I can work it into my life. But there's one good thing uh, uh, that I know I can work in. And that is that uh, my husband and I are headed away on vacation. And um, we're headed somewhere that uh, there is a a zoo with some sort of uh, giraffe experience where you can feed the giraffes. And uh, having an, uh, an interaction, a personal interaction with a giraffe was one of my fun things. So I know next week I'm going to be checking off at least one, if not multiple, uh, wonderful things on my fun things to do list. So, And then let's see, Stephanie's story reminds me <clears throat> of an idea that I've had for the past few months. Um, she was talking about all of the different things that she was doing, all of the the tools, all of the exploration, the self-discovery, and this idea that I've sort of been creeping around with for a couple of months is called the Book of Steph, and uh, basically creating a user guide to myself. Um, I have said before that there are things I've done for myself that I like and that that have worked, and and then I forget about them. Um, which made me remember something that Mindy Eichling said when we spoke in episode 70. She said a spiritual teacher once said to her that maybe uh, consciousness just loves the play of remembering and forgetting and remembering and forgetting. So Mindy reframed it in her head. And instead of hating the times that she feels like she can't connect, she tries to remember yep, I'm in the forgetting stage right now. And then I'm going to remember and then I'm going to forget again. So she's really worked to be okay with that dance of um, remembering and forgetting and not beating herself for forgetting things like I do and many of us do. And so I think of some of the things that I want to pull together into this manual and it also reminded me, does anybody remember The Greatest American Hero? Are are we even old enough to have watched that? <laughs> I know I am. 
When I was a kid, there was a show on TV where there was a, a high school teacher driving through the desert and he met some aliens who gave him a red suit that gave him the power to fly. And then there were some other superhero type powers. And he immediately loses the instruction booklet and has to learn how to use the powers by trial and error. And if I remember correctly, sometimes while he's driving, the radio will like jump around and send him like personalized messages, but that's literally all the guidance he gets. And that just rings so true to me that like the guidance we get is never really quite clear. It's, it's bits and pieces, it's glimmers, it's, um, it's, it's little pieces popping up around us that if we pay attention will help us uh, move in the direction of, uh, of our best life. And so, you know, as I think about that, sometimes I think maybe we're all greatest American heroes, aren't we? <laughs> We've got these consciousnesses that we don't really know how to use. And sometimes we get little hints or messages that provide guidance. And we really have no idea of the full measure of our powers. And we're left to figure them out by trial and error. Um, and I don't know whether to be heartened or frightened about that concept, but uh, I think today I'll go with heartened. <laughs> well, here we are. We've uh, made it to the end of another season of the 40 Drinks podcast. I'm 84 episodes in, which in my mind means I'm no longer a beginner, but by no means yet a pro. Uh, there are definitely still things I'm figuring out about how to make a great podcast and, and really about making the process go smoothly, but I think we're well on our way. So I want to thank you as always for being here with me. I find this podcast tremendously fulfilling. I love having these conversations. I hope that comes through uh, in the in the final product. I love bringing them to you. I hope that you find these stories to be relatable and validating even. And I hope they make you feel a little less alone in the world. I hope you I hope that they show you that wherever you are, you're doing pretty okay. <laughs> and with that, I'm headed out the door for vacation with my husband. We're going to be vision questing in the California desert for a week, a much needed um, rest and recharge for us both. But I will be back with new episodes on Tuesday, March 19th, which will be one month shy of my two-year podcast anniversary. In the meantime, I would love it if you catch up on any of the episodes you may have missed and connect with me on social. And another way to stay in touch is by going to 40drinks.com and signing up for uh, my email list where I share more in-depth things about guests, about uh, the original 40 Drinks project, about midlife, about this transformational period of, of time that we all go through. So um, join me in any of those places and I'll look forward to being back with you on March 19th. The 40 Drinks Podcast is produced and presented by Savoir Fair Marketing Communications.